श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय श्री श्री गोराधमादव की जय सन्यासी वृंद की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रेमानंदे So it's nice to be here with everyone. Nice to be able to um, have a small part in the hosting and and the um, <coughs> actual, excuse me, ritual, sangskar for marriage of our students. And um, so I've been asked to say a few words. Mm. And I know uh, something about marriage. Um, having been married, some of you didn't know that, but I was uh, young and married at about 22, something like that. And I joined Prabhupada at that early age as well with uh, a pregnant wife. I had actually, uh, well, similar to some of you, um, I should say, um, I got married after she was pregnant. So, <laughs> rules, <laughs> rules are meant to be broken, I guess. Sometimes, not all the time. Not necessarily recommended, but um, my father thought I was quite honorable at the time. For and proceeded along those lines to legitimatize, legitimatize, uh, legitimize, legitimize our, our relationship. At that time, um, I was on my way to Jamaica um, to, with a view to live in the jungle and meditate with my wife and uh, in her pregnant condition and so forth. <laughs> wasn't a very well thought out uh, plan in a sense uh, for family life but uh, we went we went to Jamaica and uh, we had some way of getting a very inexpensive um, transportation there we'd worked out and um, on the way there we arrived in Miami and we stayed at what was called the crash pad in those days house that people had open that anyone of a similar uh, disposition and lifestyle could could stay in, could crash in. So we, we crashed there and it was, uh, and the, the next morning was New Year's Eve. And um, so I thought it was nicer that the people had allowed me to stay there and so I went out and we uh, we begged some vegetables, and then we prepared, we were vegetarians, so we prepared a vegetable, kind of a stew, if you will, and um, offered it to the hosts in gratitude for having stayed there, but they were only eating raw food, it turned out, so they weren't very grateful <laughs> for the offering, and um, and they were quite disappointed with themselves because they had reason another year had gone by and they had not become enlightened. 
this was the mood of the house. And so um, I found them to be rather stiff and, um, of course, interested in enlightenment myself as I was going to the jungle to live and meditate. Um, and they noticed that there was a, a distinct difference between myself and, and themselves. And somehow or other they, they uh, figured something very deep out. I don't know how, but... Um, we were talking, and and they said, you know what you need is you need to read that book. And that was a big, fat book, about this big, about this tall. It said K-R-S-N-A on it. Krishna said, that's what you need. And I said, okay, that sounds good. Uh, and, uh, you know, are there some Krishna people, you know? They were known. I had first met them at the Woodstock Festival in upstate New York. And um, so I said, oh, yeah, they got a, they got a temple over here in Coconut Grove. And um, so I, they gave me the book, Krishna book, and I took it and I left. I went to Coconut Grove. I walked in on the Bhagavad Gita class. It was just ending, and who later became was later to be a godbrother of mine, and there I got initiated. The woody named Sridham had given the class, and he was speaking about uh, his time that he had just spent in Los Angeles with Prabhupada, and how he was making garlands for Prabhupada in the morning, going on a walk with him. And I was very enchanted by that um, idea, of having a teacher and. Uh, be close to the teacher and so forth. I found it very um, charming. And um, he closed the talk by saying that Prabhupada said that if you just once bow down and pray to Krishna, my dear Krishna, please uh, accept me, then he will. So that's what I did, of course. And then they invited me, it was New Year's Eve, so they invited me to go out into the streets with them and chant, and hand out magazines and so forth. So. Then, of course, they allowed me to spend the night there and um, asked me to stay on. But I was, you know, I had a lot of mo momentum going for the, for the trip to uh, Jamaica. So I didn't stay on, but I was very much impressed by some things that I saw there. One of the things was a devotee named Navayovana, a godbrother of, of, of ours. He... Um, he, um, he said, we take a cold shower in the morning. I said, okay. And that was the first, you know, the morning I stayed there. And uh, I said, why do you shave your heads? So I had never been able to inquire about that. And of course, in those days, it wasn't very fashionable to have a shaved head. And, uh, and so he said to me, he said, well, because Prabhupada shaves his head. And I thought that's not a very good reason, but it's. But I like it uh, somehow. I, I just felt they have this love for for their teacher, hmm? and I just found that very uh, compelling, hmm? very attractive. So um, I carried anyway those impressions with me, and um, I was. I had been chanting to myself quietly hmm? or silently. Um, 
And anyway, we went to Jamaica and we went into the mountains and we were the only white people there. And we, we built a small hut with the help of one gentleman. They kind of gave us some land to have, just to live on. Built a small hut out of bamboo and this was our household. Hmm? Very humble. And uh, there I decided to live out my life in, in meditation. And I would meditate on the Hare Krishna mantra. Hmm. So as you know, you're not supposed to do it yourself, you know. Uh, there are so many rules that they tell you you're supposed to follow and so forth. So things uh, changed and the seasons along with them and the rains came and wiped out my bamboo hut. The household was in great turmoil, <laughs> as you can imagine, at the time. And so um, I rose to the occasion and said, that's it, we'll go we'll join the Krishna people. You know, they're very nice. And, and if we can get help, why try to do this, you know, on your own, so to speak. So we then hitchhiked across the country and went back to California and Santa Cruz Mountains, where I had been living. And and uh, when we arrived there, there was, they were my friends were surpri surprised to see me back. And um, I explained to them I was I was going to join the Krishna people, and they thought that was interesting and and. Uh, charming at the same time. There happened to be a festival in Berkeley the next day. And so we went up there in a Volkswagen van and and they had a big deity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in, in the park. And they were serving halava and halava and halava, that's what they were serving only. And um, chanting and so forth. And they were throwing lots of carnations at the at the deity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Big, big, great big like 20 feet tall or 15 feet tall, something like that. And he had one hand up like this and one hand out like this. And so I thought, I'll throw a flower and if he catches it in his hand, I'll know I'm accepted. <laughs> so I threw it and, and sure enough, he landed right in his hand. So, I've been accepted. So. Nobody asked me to join or anything like that, so I went back to the Santa Cruz Mountains. And my wife shaved my head because I th thought, you know, Prabhupada did that. And, and there was a gay guy that we were living with who used to, whenever the devotees would come in town, he would put on orange robes. He had long black hair like Lord Chaitanya, and he would go out and dance and chant with them. He later also became a disciple of Prabhupada. Mm -hmm. But when he saw me with a shaved head in the morning, he said, Hey, you, I got something you need more than me. So he gave me this orange robe. <laughs> so there I was in orange robes and a shaved head in the Santa Cruz Mountains like giving class from the Krishna book to, to people, friends. <laughs> My wife and I. And, uh, <laughs> and some devotees then eventually, uh, shortly thereafter, month or so from Los Angeles came to open a preaching center in Santa Cruz. We were up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, a little ways from Santa Cruz, but they somehow they heard about there's this guy up there in Felton and and uh, you know, you should go and get him. He belongs with you. And so they came up and they they found me there and of course they told me I was doing it all wrong. <laughs> I was I was a household so I couldn't be wearing an orange robe, I had to have a white robe. <laughs> 
and uh, I had to be with them and so forth. And so I didn't have any objections, so I was looking for help. So we would move down into Santa Cruz itself and help to open the preaching center there. And then Prabhupada arrived in Los Angeles about three months later, and so they took me there. And um, Prabhupada wouldn't allow us to leave because my wife was too pregnant. He said, you can tra not travel now, so you have to stay here, which was fine with me. I had very much interest in, in living out in nature and, and the elements and so forth, and the natural environment. And in those days, um, even for alternative persons like myself, living in Northern California, Southern California was, we didn't use the word, but it was Maya, you know. Southern California was not the place, place to be. But in, uh, in Prabhupada's service, I, I had no problem with that. So I gave up my ideas of where I might like to live, and I wanted to live in his company, under his guidance and so forth. And he was kind enough to, to uh, tell me that I had to stay there because of my wife's condition and so forth. And so anyway, they gave me a small apartment across the street from the temple, which is now the BBT um, some of you know that temple, uh, where they have the book trust offices and so forth. I had a little apartment there, and and I didn't know how to do anything because I never had a job. We used to just panhandle, and um, and and uh, to make a living. And um, so, I thought all the other devotees were much more talented, and and they were well engaged. And so I didn't know what to do with myself, but I. I thought, I, I like this idea, so I like to talk, talk to other people about it. So I would go out in the streets and talk to people about it. And, of course, I found out that there was a warehouse full of books that probably wanted to be sold, and so I thought I'll take them with me and so forth. So this way I lived my householder life. Hmm. Sometime later, and I was 19, maybe 70, early beginning of 1972, in 1975, um, Prabhupada uh, gave me the sannyasa order, so I got the orange robe back and, and so forth. And That's a whole other story. I don't know if you want to hear about <laughs> that part. Uh, <laughs> but uh, at any rate, I had some uh, experience of the household life in, in, in youth. And of course, um, I say this because one might think that a, a sannyasin or renunciate is really unfamiliar with the whole, the dynamics of household life and so forth. But to, even without having experienced it personally, um, that's, that's not the case. Um, one who is properly situated as a sannyasi knows very well what is the household life and what is the psychology of the householder and so forth. And, and, um, and is therefore very um, well suited for um, engaging, instructing students who have chosen that particular uh, path, so to speak, or that particular um, 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 lifestyle for uh, uh, in the context of which they will pursue their spiritual life. And this has something to us also then about bhakti, because the fact is, from a classical uh, point of view, 
the yoga texts, for example, Yoga Sutra of Patanjali, where Astanga Yoga is delineated, uh, the texts of the uh, the that advocate the the Gyan Marg, the path of knowledge, the path of mis- path of mystic yoga, the path of of knowledge. Um, they are both uh, transcendental and experience, spiritual, experiential orientations to life rather than religious orientations. Hmm? I differentiate between the two, as some of you are aware. Uh, religious orientation should foster the interest in spiritual, experiential orientation in the here and the now. Um, in, in due course, the wider sector of people um, interested in spiritual life are more um, readily found to be in a religious orientation uh, to life. In other words, they seek to color, if you will, all of their human activities, the birth of the children, the marriage, the birth of the children, um, um, every kind of uh, significant event in in the family uh, I think in in Hinduism they have what, ten some scars hmm? Hmm. or events like this if you will that are that create an impression through ritual and so forth and that that sacralize or, or make sacred the very thing the various things that are just uh, hmm, being done uh, largely by other species of life as well. There's mating, for example. There's 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 uh, the raising of offspring and and so forth and different stages of that and and whatnot. Um, but in human life, the religious people they seek to color all of those which ordinary, if you will, activities that we uh, share to some extent with less complex forms of life. Color it with a spiritual. Um, Tint, if you will, a religious tint. In other words, they do them in a way to, um, um, by by such a way as if to say they have more meaning hmm, to us, more significance to us. The mating, for example, you know, we we celebrate the 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 the, the marriage, and it's a big way of announcing these two people they belong together. Hmm. You should not expect to see them, you know, with somebody else, somewhere else. Um, uh, I was tell another story briefly. I was in Vrindavan, the sacred place of Krishna's appearance. Um, been there many times, but one day I was there, and myself and another, um, as a sannyasi and a student monastic, a brahmachari, was traveling with me on a rickshaw, and we were going to the Artik ceremony in the temple. And um, we were trying to get there, and we had a, you know, a timeline. And suddenly the rickshaw came to a, an abrupt halt, and there was this huge procession going on, hmm, led by the Verma band. I don't know if any, any of you have ever seen the Verma band, but it's quite um, quaint and uh, interesting. Uh, group with big drums and trumpets and so forth, and they were uh, blocking all the traffic. Hmm? And then there was a guy riding on a, it was either a horse or a donkey, I'm not sure, 
maybe a, maybe a horse, and he had a big turban on, all decked out, and so forth. And it was a, it was a wedding procession, basically. And so everything stopped. No traffic could go through. All the shopkeepers turned and gave attention to the wedding. And and the young student who I was with, he said, "Oh man, this is terrible." Hmm? Here we are trying to go to a temple, and we're held up by a, by a by a wedding, by a marriage, which is about tying a knot of attachment to the world, and we are renunciates. We're about untying the knot, and in the context of pursuing that untying, we're going to the temple and we're being interrupted by this wedding. And he thought it was just a terrible scene. Hmm? He saw the Maya is attacking us uh, here. <laughs> and uh, so but I was quite uh, uh, liking it all, and I was thinking, this is so nice. It's such a big celebration, and these two people have come together, and they're making this huge announcement and broadcasting it everywhere. This one belongs with this one. They go together and don't expect to see them you know, with somebody else and spread the word. and. And, and so forth. <laughs> and um, so I tried to explain to the other younger um, monastic that um, in bhakti, hmm, um, bhakti has great power. And unlike the yoga marg, unlike the gyan marg, which are also transcendental ego-effacing <laughs> paths, hmm, um, in a classical sense, as I said, the yoga sutras, and the, the texts um, Im- so much embraced by the by the Gyanins in the Gyan, the path of yo- yoga, of, uh, say, yoga of knowledge, um, the Eightfold Yoga System. These two different, each of these traditions, hmm, the include within them hmm, as angas or limbs of the body of the practice celibacy. Hmm? So they are not very user-friendly for the uh, family life. Technically speaking, from a classical point of view, they cannot be practiced. Hmm? I know yoga is popular in all forms and with all types of neo-advaitans hmm? um, uh, embracing their own idea of the Marg and so forth. I read something the other day where someone said, uh, here it is, non-duality explained without all the Sanskrit hoopla and blah, 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 and and so forth. This is our American, you know, entrepreneurialism that we are so proud of that we will make everything better, hmm? no matter what it is. And um, of course, I didn't appreciate that very much. Uh, I thought the whole the very idea has come from all that Sanskrit blah blah blah. And, and these people have thought this out a long time ago. And and we would do well to appreciate other cultures that were centered on on such and 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 um, maybe even learn a few Sanskrit terms it wouldn't hurt us and so forth so um, in complete dismissal of that and and a wealth of 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 a heritage for in yoga and gyan for hundreds and hundreds and not thousands of years of practice that produced uh, the perfection within that particular uh, tradition hmm, of ego effacement and so forth um, uh, to ig- ignore that and, and of course it's very obvious 
to make, as is popular today, a very um, um, a new kind of translation of brahmacharya. Brahmacharya means celibacy. So I've seen in various editions of the Yoga Sutra written by, uh, uh, commented on by Westerners, very creative, I should say, uh, translations of, of brahmacharya that uh, are said to be an, an improvement on the tradition, but they ignore what what the uh, what the tradition itself, in all of its power, hmm, speaks of and incorporates into its practice uh, as a significant limb, if you will, of the body of the practice. Celibacy without, you know, any... Just get the dictionary, and, and there it is. So, bhakti, by contrast, hmm, is... Um, and this speaks of the power of bhakti, really, that it doesn't require... That. that means to say that householders, married couples, can pursue the path of bhakti very happily and, um, and, and be successful. And um, again, this is the strength of bhakti because it is, again, a tying of a knot and attachments and you had one desire. Hmm? Maybe you had one desire. If I could just find a nice guy, you know, get, in a, get a, a relationship or a nice, nice partner, you had one desire, that could turn into thousands of desires, right? All you need is one child out of that, and you've got a thousand desires there. You also have to deal with and so forth. So it is the world, so to speak. It's what the world makes the world go round, right? And it's what most people think, this is what life's about, this is what you do. You get married, you have kids, and that's the center and of your life, they become the deities, and that's what life's about. Hmm? Well, um, as I say, bhakti is very generous to and powerful hmm? to be able to um, be effective in the midst of that which really makes the material world go round, hmm? and to uh, be involved in a, a player, as a player, if you will in that, such that the opposite takes place. Hmm? So this is extraordinary power of the path in comparison to, for example, Astanga Yoga or, or, or Gyanmarg. They don't have such efficacy. Hmm? That said, of course, um, you're marrying in the context of bhakti and in, in the pursuit of your um, spiritual life ultimately. And it should be such that Krishna, for example, your your deity, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, is more loved by each of the uh, by the by the man and the wife than they love one another. If I was to take this to a very high point, uh, theologically speaking, in our tradition, there is a mention in Rupa Goswami's tome Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu um, of the idea of devotees loving one another. Hmm? He's explaining about Rasa. Rasa is centered on Krishna. Krishna is named Rasa Raj. Hmm? Rasa means like taste, aesthetic rapture, sacred aesthetic rapture, reciprocal uh, dealings in love with the Absolute. Hmm? And Krishna is obvious, it's obvious if you just study about the, the conception of Krishna that what's being talked about is that center from which all types of 
in relation to which all types of love in transcendence can be experienced. Therefore, Rasaraj, the king of love, if you will. When he's talking about that, Rupa Goswami is explaining that there are different types of love. So there are the stai of, of, of romantic love for Krishna. I mean, stai means like prominent, dominant emo- emotion that defines the person hmm? or the nature of their... If, if the person in transcendence is an embodiment of love hmm, for God, that type of love will be... is called a stai. So romantic love for Krishna, fraternal love for Krishna parental love for Krishna, loving Krishna in, in servitude hmm, are some uh, examples. And so after speaking about this, and a whole world, if you will, of love of God, where all these different types of love that we n- normally don't think are for God, we think, you know, we love God like this, Om, or, uh, you know, pull out Beethoven and stand back and, you know, he wrote some religious works there. Uh, uh, it's kind of a, a, a reverential, a, a, a nagape kind of orientation to God. We're taking the eros, if you will, for the Greek, and, we, and, and, and Krishna is sometimes called the transcendental Cupid, hmm? who, who, while Cupid gets the best of everybody, he gets the best of Cupid, something like that. So, when speaking about this whole world of love, I mean, I was relate, uh, referring to it in brief last night as well, the idea of a whole uh, realm in transcendence of the, in, in, in the subjective realm where all types of loving sentiments that we express here that are fall short because of not being centered on the Rasaraj, on the object who can reciprocate accordingly, fully. Hmm? There, they don't fall short because they're properly centered. Hmm? Love properly centered. Now we we love one another, we love things, we, we, we don't know what we are, and we try to love, and, and, uh, and so forth. So it's not always fulfilling. We say that giving is receiving, we think, I gave, I didn't receive. Hmm? So the question of giving to the right, to where, where it can actually be taken. Hmm? One of my monastic students asked me some time ago, he said that he had spoken with a Christian, and a Christian said, our idea of God is better than yours. Why? Uh, rather confrontational, but why? He said, because our idea of God, Jesus, is a sacrificer. Hmm? And your idea of God is a playboy. Hmm? Just the opposite. Hmm? And spiritual life is about sacrifice and about giving. Hmm? And your God is like a playboy. Really, he is, hmm? it would seem. So many gopis, lovers, and uh, so forth. So I said, yeah, it's true. I said, but if there is a sacrificer, hmm, there has to be someone on the other end who accepts the sacrifice that's being offered. Hmm? And this is a way of depicting that person on the other end, the enjoyer. Hmm? Krishna is the enjoyer. Hmm? He has nothing to do. Krishna's not making sacrifices, doing penances. He's not performing austerities like Shiva in meditation. He has nothing to attain. attain. He's simply playing. His parents give him absolutely no responsibility whatsoever. Hmm? Bad parenting, but he's attractive. What can you do? Hmm? They're enamored by him. Hmm? Whatever he wants, hmm? he gets. 
But what this is talking about, of course, is obviously that center to which all the sacrificing can be directed and digested hmm, as the stomach digests all the food that we put in the body and mystically, like no other part of the body, distributes to every other part of the body. So, the center is depicted as an enjoyer, hmm, but <coughs> at the same time the center is a giver because love is, this is the nature of love. I've said before, if you're controlled physically, that's a problem. If someone locks you in a room, <coughs> you'll know and you'll yell, I want to get out. Someone else may control you mentally hmm? by psychological manipulation. If by psychological manipulation someone controls you, what is that? Oh. If by psychological manipulation someone controls you, it will be more subtle, but it will be more more powerful. You might not even know that you're being controlled. You might need a friend to say, you got to get out of that relationship. He's abusive and, and so forth. So physical control, we go up a hierarchy uh, a ladder, so to speak, materially speaking, to mental control. Um, so, and that, But then we have another kind of control, let's say, by love, by heart, by body, by arms, by force, by mind, by love. Hmm? But to be controlled by love, of course, then that's not a problem because if you control someone by love, hmm, they love you, hmm, so they control you. It's, it's So the center is like that. Hmm? The center is loving hmm, and taking, but is is also controlled by the love and therefore is also a giver when properly um, understood. Hmm? So Rupa Goswami is talking about this world, uh, if you will, and, and, and all the different dominant emotions, all centered on Krishna. Hmm? The whole thing centered on Krishna. Hmm? It's a world of variety and possi all possibilities. We're now in a world of variety and possibilities. We think there are more possibilities than there are. We keep trying to manipulate matter in such a way as to, as to make the thing work better for us. Um, but uh, some, some people, of course, realize this isn't working and they want to become peaceful, as we said last night. If you take like a pond in the forest that's placid and, and just quiet, so to make the mind like that, this is the idea of yoga, chitta vritti nirodha, to stop all the waves of the vrittis, material identification in the mind and be peaceful. Hmm? But the world that Rupa Goswami is talking about is, is not like a peaceful pond like that. It's a peaceful pond in which stones are thrown. Hmm? Now, if you throw stones in the pond, all the ripples will cross and it will, uh, it will disturb your mind. Hmm? What is his idea then? You take that pond hmm, that's peaceful. You stop throwing stones in so many different places. Hmm? You stop directing your energy in one place, another place, another place, and, uh, and everybody's making really themselves the center. Hmm? So they're waves. Hmm? Hmm? Instead, you make one center and you throw 108 stones, a thousand and eight stones, a million eight stones, all in the same place, hmm? in the same center. Then there are ripples that go out. The more you throw, the bigger the ripples, but they're all concentric. Hmm? 
Do you understand? A kind of a concentric, moving water that is peaceful hmm? and more. You understand? Quiet lake is peaceful, but if it's if it's moving, then peace turns to love, and there's dancing and and, and movement that's harmonious. Hmm? So this is a, a unity and a diversity together at the same time, which is what love is. It's a unity, and it's a diversity at the same time, and the two don't go together. Hmm? Therefore, love knows no reason. Hmm? You understand? It doesn't fit in that, and life does not fit between the ears. It's bigger than that and much more accommodating than the world of our mind with our likes and dislikes that are so small and narrow, so provincial, so discomforting to us, and so unreasonably we ask everyone to live inside of it. Please live in my mind because misery loves company. We try to make make the best out of it. But here's a better idea. Rupa Goswami speaking about a beautiful world where all the emotive life, if you will, hmm, that we pursue and get a shadow of here can be found in full by being properly centered. Then the question comes, and this is my point, as he's writing this, he says, in his mind he thinks, now I've spoken about love for Krishna and a world of loving Krishna, but someone may ask, how do the devotees of Krishna relate to one another? We know how they relate to Krishna. They all love Krishna. But how do they feel towards one another? Hmm. So he asked this question mentally, because you know when you write a book, you think, what will people think? What will I say next? And if you can follow him very carefully, you can understand he's thinking like this. When he pens one of the final verses in that chapter on dominant emotions, Daibhavs, he says, there's something else called surit rati means rati means love here surit rati means love of the friend how the devotees relate to one another hmm? some devotees said they love krishna a little bit more than another devotee who they're close with hmm? some he said even love krishna and a devotee friend equally hmm? and some of them love the friend even more than krishna that is very special he says hmm? Example of this is the handmaidens of Radha. Hmm? But the idea here is what? He says, this is called a sanchari. Sanchari is another kind of bhava or emotion. It's emotion that augments the dominant emotion. Hmm? Just like if my dominant emotional love for Krishna is friendly, I'm a friend. Then one of the things you do amongst friends often is crack jokes. Hmm? Amongst friends, you can't crack jokes. We see amongst Krishna's coward friends, they're cracking jokes and rolling on the ground and holding their stomachs like your son last night when I was tickling him. Hmm? Oh. I said, you must like to be tickled. You keep laughing. <laughs> so th th this is called uh, hasya, hasyarati, hasyaras. It mixes nicely with, 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 with sakyarasa. Hmm? It of course, it's it's actually a dominant emotion, but it's like a sanchari, hmm? very powerful sanchari. Sanchari means these bhavas, these emotions that come and augment our dominant love, just like the other example. We may love someone romantically, that's the dominant emotion that defines us, and then still we're subject to despondency at times. Does he love me? Hmm? Krishna's picking like, you know, the clover. She loves me. 
She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not what to do. His friend Sue Balls, she loves you. Rod, hey, he'll chant in his ear and this way. So the point is that love of the devotee for another devotee is an emotion that is included within love of Krishna that augments one's love for Krishna. This is a very high, I'm speaking about it, but it plays out to some extent in our everyday life as practitioners. Hmm? And so, that, as I said, in Buddhism you can't have any friends, ultimately. Hmm? I know it's a strange way of talking about it, but it's, it's true. Hmm? In monism, spiritual monism, you can't have any friends. Hmm? There's nobody else. In bhakti, then you can have so many friends. Which means you can have wife, you can have children also. And this is the power, the strength of bhakti. Bhakti Vinod Thakur said, Grihe tako vane tako. This is a famous line, you know it? Grihe tako vane tako. Grihe means house, vane means forest. Forest symbolically means the renunciate who lives in the forest, away from the world. Hmm? And grihe means in the house. So those who are householders, he says, it doesn't matter whether you're a householder or a sannyasi. Grihe tako, vane tako. People like to quote this. Grihe tako, vane tako. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. But don't forget, there's another line that goes with it. Grihe tako, vane tako, sada hari vole tako. So, it means always chant Hare Krishna. Hmm? It doesn't matter whether you're in the forest or in the household, but you have to have prominent in your life. The reason we're together is for bhakti. Hmm? For Krishna bhakti, for guru bhakti. Hmm? We need some, we feel we need some help to pursue that, so we find a partner and hold hands then, and in strength we go forward. So, loving, we should love Krishna, the husband should love Krishna more than the wife, the wife, wife should love Krishna more than the husband. This is Vrindavan, you see. If you study Vrindavan, you see, everyone loves one another, the children, the wife, the friends, but they all love Krishna just a little bit more or enough to make everything work. Hmm? It's uh, the, the cooperative, if you will, all properly centered. Hmm? Hmm. So this is the strength of, of bhakti, That and there are many great devotees who are householders and perfected themselves. I, I cite Bhakti Vinodak, where he is, he, we are members of the Bhakti Vinodak, the family, extended family of Bhakti Vinodak, who had the vision to um, distribute the, the uh, the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to the modern world and so forth. Hmm? So we're very fortunate he had maybe ten children or so, and his life was um, that of an exemplary devotee. It is said that about him, one fellow who was, there was a group who were envious of his work, hmm? and they sought to defame him, so they hired a fellow to spy on him in his private life at home. It's one thing in the public and in the temple, what he was like, but let's check him out in private and we'll get something on him and then we'll defame him. So that fellow was hired and he watched Bhakti Vinod for a week, hmm? observed, spied on him. Hmm? After one week of spying on Bhakti Vinod, he became a student of Bhakti Vinod. <laughs> hmm? So this is the kind of householder we should be. This is Prabhupada's idea. Hmm? So it's in in, in Pujapad uh, Bhakti Bhakti Narayan Maharaj's mission. Well, the mission of of, of Bhakti Pragya and Keshav Maharaj 
that he had that Brian Marsh is a prominent member of who preached in America in recent years. Um, he recently, a few years back, passed on. But um, in that mission, Keshav Maharaj, he had a standard that in the temple, the monastics, hmm, living with the guru and serving, they will chant at least 16 rounds on their japa beads every day. Hmm? And then they had full service to do. Do this, do that, go here, go there. Hmm? And the householders, then they were to chant 32 rounds a day. Hmm? <laughs> you understand? Not less, but more. Hmm? And we have a little bit of a different system. Hmm? Reason being, of course, they were in proximity to hmm, worldliness and possibility of distractions and so on and so forth. So you're all very nice students and happy to be here and, and have some few words to say about uh, marriage. Prabhupada was a little pressed himself in one place, and I think it is Bhagavad Gita, he said, I, sh I have to say something as a sannyasi celebrating marriages. This seems to be like contradictory. Hmm? Sannyasa is about giving up the world, and marriages, as I said earlier, is about making the world go round. Um, so I am doing the same thing here. Some explanation of what a person of, uh, in, in, of my uh, psychology, and this is really what it is, there is, a, there is a psychology that's conducive to monasticism, and there's a psychology that's conducive to household life, and they are just different positions from which to give our all in all hmm, for spiritual life. The monastic, as I said, they will do the bidding of the guru in the ashram, go here, do this, they're like the legs hmm, of the society. Hmm? Um, doing the labor, make a nice spiritual environment. Hmm? Uh, the householders are like like the, the stomach, if you will, hmm? and they provide the food. Hmm? They're involved in, in some economic um, development for the sake of their household in an honest way, um, and everyone has some disposable income, and this is where you should dispose of it. Hmm? in the service of Vaishnavas and facilitating the monastics and if, if someone's going to be the legs then they need they need some uh, food to 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 run on some fuel to run on so the householders are growing typically and uh, in, well engaged in enterprise and so forth so they're earning money the monastics don't earn any money hmm? so they have a relationship like this and so the householders you should give generously to the mission my Guru Maharaj wanted the householders, his household disciples to give 50% of their income to the mission. Hmm? That's a lot. So we are asking them to give 10%, to try to give 10%. That will, that will be in their interest. Then we can have bigger weddings, you see, and, uh, and more cows. And I should mention that we have a beautiful um, mother, a couple of mothers over there, um, just behind us. And one of them, Mangala, was just recently acquired. And so I suggested to Bhakti Raso, I think mentioned it to, to the couples here, that, um, that if they could donate some money to, uh, to offset the cost of the, our new member here, Mangala, she's giving about five gallons a day of milk, that would be nice. And they replied, as I understand it, that whatever wedding monetary gifts we get here, so then they'll give for the help to support the dairy and so forth. So if you want to help them in any way, then they will just help the, the ashram, and particularly to help the dairy which we're, which we're developing. So 
Anyway, this is the relationship. Uh, so you have the brahmacharis, they're like the legs, and the householders are like the, um, the, uh, the belly. Then there may be some persons, like Vanaprastas, like Dulal Chandra and, and um, his good wife Bhakti Rasa, they're doing some administrative work. They're, they're, they've set up this whole place here that we're using inter- uh, at the moment as an interim ashram, Ananda Ashram. With, uh, so they're like, and then the sannyasi is, is like the, like the head. The sannyasi is like the father and like the child at the same time. Hmm? So, kind of innocent in a way, uh, not worldly, but uh, wise, nonetheless. Hmm? Sometimes you've seen the pictures of the Kumaras or the Sukadev, just young, young lads, naked. It means they have nothing to do with the world. But they're kind of smart, <laughs> innocent, but a little smart at the same time. So you try to facilitate the sannyasis and uh, the brahmacharis, and they will facilitate you and say we have a happy relationship. And regardless, again, whatever one's psychology is, that one will feel materially comfortable and whole um, with, from there to pursue wholeheartedly the spiritual life. This is the idea. Hmm? So... In this way, I again I'm happy to preside over this and and in small way and say a few words. And now we have quite an extensive ritual, I think, to colorful ritual to participate in, isn't it? What's next? We continue with the yagya. I mean, with the we will do some purification, invoking Sudarshan to be present to give us protection, and then the vows. And then Very good. <laughs> Very good. Go 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 Go